First Kings chapter 10, and we'll read the same 13 verses for our text. First Kings chapter 10, reading at verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold, and precious stones, and when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom in the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendants of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, There was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, and the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almond trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almond trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. There came no such almond trees nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty so he turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. We continue with the similitude of Solomon, a comparative resemblance of Christ. And we remind you again that the things we see in Solomon were greatly multiplied to a greater degree in the person of Christ. So we've been focusing here the last couple of Sundays on Solomon's wisdom and understanding and what we read about that in the Old Testament. And it's just mind-boggling to our minds that there could have been a human being with this much knowledge, understanding, and wisdom of so much. He understood all things relevant to him and them at that time. Today we have experts in different fields and have had in other generations. But obviously from the text of Scripture, there's never been and nor will there be another man like Solomon in the human sense. So as we read what we read here about the Queen of Sheba, what her expectations were based on what she had heard, she found out it far exceeded anything she could have imagined. So it exceeds anything we could imagine. God divinely gave him that largeness of mind and heart and wealth of knowledge that if he lived as old as Methuselah, he couldn't have learned it all. 
and neither can anybody else. It was a divine gift. God made him who he was. And if God did not, he wouldn't be who he was. So while we stand in awe of all of that, as we should, and wonder what would it have been like even if you weren't in the kingdom, but just as the queen of Sheba, an outside observer of the kingdom and of this man. And we talk sometimes about, uh, you know, Joseph. Remember Jacob's son being a great manager, and indeed he was. You know, rose all the way to the number two position in Egypt to manage uh, a famine that was coming and all of that. Well, from what we read here about in verse 5, Solomon, of course, exceeded him greatly, you know. I mean, to have this kind of knowledge and understanding would have made him the greatest manager there ever had been, supervising all kinds of things. So, so he just excelled in all of it. And as we think of that, again, we should stand in awe and think about what would it have been like. All right, are you there? Are you thinking of that now? What would it have been like to have been like the Queen of Sheba and listen to this guy, to ask him questions and have him answer it or just volunteer the information. I think we'd have been dumbfounded and hypnotic and probably no spirit in us just like her. Okay. So that's enough to dumbfound us, but now we go to the one greater than Solomon. And Jesus said that familiar scripture we've quoted many times already in this series, Matthew 12, 42, a greater than Solomon is here. So as much as we can be flattered by Solomon, that's just the tip of the iceberg when we come to Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Christ, His humility, and His wisdom, as we've seen in Solomon but of course, to a greater degree. We sadly had to close with Solomon, realizing that in his end, we see his fault, loving many strange women that carried him into idolatry, so he was not invincible, he was not impeccable, as Christ our Lord was. But let's begin with that thought again, the humility and wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no better place to start with the humility then Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Here it is prophetically set forth, the humility of the Messiah, of Christ the Savior. And then we see the fulfillment of it in the New Testament in the Gospels. But let me just point out a few things here in this 53rd chapter. We'll read verse 1, but 2 and 3 are verses that we want to get to concerning the humility of Christ. Verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Verse 2, For he, Christ, the Messiah, shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So when you read that verse right there, you read that there is nothing eccentric, there is nothing flashy, there is nothing that stands out in some type of flashy character or royalty or nobility or anything of that. But again, a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. 
And that phrase right there really captures the humility part. It's easy, isn't it, to see a plant growing in a well-cultivated piece of soil, well-irrigated, everything well-fertilized and all of that. But a tender plant as a root out of dry ground is very insignificant in that regard. Humility in that respect. No form or comeliness. No beauty. Nothing outstanding that we should desire Him. And then despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised. We esteemed Him not. Again, humility is what's in those verses. Uh, down in verse 7, He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is done, so He openeth not His mouth. Again, meekness and humility is what we see there. It goes on and speaks of other things, but again, even in His death, His grave, He made His grave with the wicked, wicked rich in His death, when he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. He was innocent, but he was charged as guilty and put to death. So humility is set forth in all that. Then we go to the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel chapter 11, and we see Christ's own words in verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So he states his meekness there. And everything about him was meek and lowly. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born in royalty. He wasn't born in a recognizable, noble city. He was born in Bethlehem, an insignificant place, not even in a house, but in a stable and in a manger to common or poor people. So his humility is seen even in his very incarnation as the Son of God from his very beginning. His parents were not rich. His father was a carpenter. He was known as a carpenter's son, right? So everything about his birth, his beginning, his childhood, and so forth shows us this meek and humble individual in that regard. And Christ maintained that throughout his public ministry. Humble in that regard. So very humble. Yet he possessed wisdom that exceeded Solomon. In fact, let me say, he was wisdom. And I want to say this now and put it out there, and then you can keep it there as we proceed on. He literally was what we say and use sometimes the word personification of wisdom. What is wisdom? Where do you find wisdom? Where do you get wisdom? Somebody can say, well, you, you can read, you know, inform, read information out of books and get wisdom. Well, true. Where do you go to do that? You go to a library, right? But you can't go to a library where all the wisdom of all the world is. You know, there may be some things there, but 
you know as well as I do, you'll have to go through a lot of garbage to get a morsel or two here and there, depending on when you can just go to the Bible. Well, the Bible is the Word of God. It is the written Word. Christ was the living Word. And the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, which Solomon wrote, speaks of wisdom. The subject of the first nine chapters, the stress throughout that, is wisdom. Wisdom and understanding. And the personification of that, of all that's said, if you take all that's said there about wisdom and put that, just gathered it up and lifted it up and put it in a person like God did Solomon, well, that's what we find in Christ. Christ was the personification of wisdom more than Solomon ever could be. And he was. We see this initially at 12 years old. We've referenced this scripture once before. But in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, when they went up to Jerusalem for the sacrifice, the feast rather, in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, 48, his parents returned to Jerusalem finding he's not with them. And it says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. His, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now here's a 12-year-old, poor Jewish boy, kid, I want to call him that, sitting with the most learned individuals of the day. And he's not sitting there to soak in what they've got to say. He's giving as much as he's taking. I mean, it says here, he is hearing them and asking questions, and everybody is astonished at his understanding and answers. So again, as a 12-year-old boy, it's manifested right here, there's something uniquely Great about this boy. He's showing more wisdom and understanding at 12 than, or as much as, as the learned professors are. Well, it would just keep on getting better. Because the scripture says in verse 52, he continued to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And of course, we must make the comment here that Jesus didn't learn all his wisdom. He did do exactly what the scripture says, increased in wisdom, knowledge and understanding as a human being, that part of his nature. He learned like any human would learn, except at a very accelerated rate, humanly speaking. Yet at the same time, he had the divine nature and was the omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God. So he learned as a man, yet he knew everything as God. 
Of course, that makes him uniquely different, obviously. But again, we read this scripture to show you the human side of that. Now, scripture goes on and says other things. If you want to turn over to the fourth chapter of Luke and verse 22, we'll pick up a scripture there chronologically. And I'm just going to reference what goes on before here. But he went in a synagogue and it was given to him the book or the law, the Old Testament books, it says. Uh, the prophet Esaias in verse 17, he opened it to a particular place, which is Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he begins to read that in verse 18 and 19. Verse 20 says he closed the book, sat down, and then in verse 21 he said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He was identifying himself as the one the prophet had prophesied of. And then notice verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And I've always been struck by that. I mean, I, I can't remember the first time I read that, but I may have read it many times, and then you read something one time and it just impacts you. You know, it just slaps you up the side of the head or impales your heart or your mind. The gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And I just want you to think about that. While it may have been awesome, and I know it was, to catch every word that came out of Solomon's mouth, they still didn't hold the value and the wisdom of those that came out of Christ's mouth. Remember his saying, a greater than Solomon is here. God did not put all that there was to know in Solomon. He'd have been the equivalent of God, I guess you could say, if he had all the knowledge that God possessed. But Christ was God and was man. Nothing could come out of Christ's mouth but truth and gracious words, amazing words, amazing truth, amazing doctrine. You would have heard it, you would have feasted on it, and you would have wanted more and more and more and more and more if you love truth and you'd never get enough of it. It would have been addictive. It would have been hypnotic. I don't know what all the words, maybe I should have just brought a dictionary and wrote a bunch of them down of what all it would be. The gracious words. And the great thing about what Christ would have said even exceeding what Solomon said, there would have been no error in none of it. No room for any skepticism whatsoever. You wouldn't have to doubt one thing. You know, we talk amongst ourselves here and all of you that I'm looking at here in this congregation, I, I believe are honest people. I believe when you tell me something, I can trust what you say, that I don't have to be skeptical. I might be skeptical that you're mistaken and you might be skeptical that I can be mistaken in telling you things because we forget things, we miscommunicate things. But as far as where your heart is when you tell me something, I believe you're telling me something that I can depend upon. There are not a lot of people you can do that with. 
you have to have some skepticism or else you're just naive and you'll be deceived and so you know all that. But again, you wouldn't have to have none of that when you listen to Jesus. It was as pure as pure could be. It would be like nobody had ever said it before. It would be like nobody had illustrated it where you could understand it like anybody else before. I mean, every word would have been alive, packed with truth, packed with information. It's, what, what can I say, like eating cheesecake? Just a little nibble, it's so rich. You know, who of us could sit down and eat a whole cheesecake? I mean, wow, you know. Same way with Jesus. Everything He said, every morsel would have been so rich with truth and wisdom and understanding. So gracious. I've thought about that a lot. Not only through preaching, but as a Christian. What would it literally have been like? I mean, it's an enamoring thought just to think, to hear the words of the Son of God upon your own eardrums. Now we hear it by faith when we read it in these red letters. And look at the impact it makes upon our hearts and on our minds and on our lives now without even hearing the audible decibels of it. And of course the great thing is, and I must throw this in, one day we are going to hear. We're going to have eternity to listen not to Solomon. Solomon in eternity will be a byword. You know, give, give Solomon his credit but again, our focus is, and we don't worship Solomon, do we? We met here today to worship our Lord because he's a greater than Solomon. And all his words are gracious. All his words are true. And so many other things we could say, but I just, I just love that. The gracious word. This doesn't mean that people believed what he said. You know better than that. But it is true that everything he said was gracious and truthful and amazing in that respect. Let's look at another scripture. Let's go to the uh, book of Matthew, chapter 7, shall we? Matthew, chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. Here's something that we can add in here to concerning, concerning Jesus and His preaching, teaching, and those who heard him, like the Queen of Sheba, heard Solomon. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That's another way Jesus was uniquely different. Not only did he surpass Solomon and the scribes and everybody else at that time, with his knowledge and understanding and being able to speak it to in a way that people would be astonished and amazed. But it mentions that he spake as one having authority. He did have authority. He wasn't sitting on a throne ruling like a king, but he had more authority than Caesar in the day in which he spoke or any other king. Because he was the Son of God. He was God in human flesh. 
having authority. Jesus said in John 17 and 1, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That's the kind of authority that he had. Okay? Authority, power, almost synonymous, a little bit different. One is the execution of the other. If you don't have authority to do something, you may have the power to do it, but you can't do it because you don't have the authority to do it. Jesus had power and authority. And so that was impressive. Solomon was King Solomon. Obviously, he had power and had authority. In the human sense, Jesus has exceeded it in the fact that he was divine. He had divine power, divine authority from his Father, who, as he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Absolutely amazing in that respect. Well, let's look. We're in Matthew. Let's look at another scripture here quickly. Uh, The 13th chapter of Matthew in verse 54. And I'm just reminding you and trying to get you to focus and be open-minded and moved by the wisdom that resided in our Lord and Savior. In verse 54. Uh, verse 53, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary called mother called Mary, and his brother James and Joses and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. So again, it shows us that while it was apparent the wisdom that he had, it was not accepted. It was acknowledged, but not believed and submitted to. And that's the saddest part of it all. I can imagine that people readily ate up Solomon's wisdom, you know, because it was more of a human, uh, well, not just human. Solomon said a lot of spiritual things, but a lot of people could write the spiritual things off as philosophical, you know, without feeling much pressure. But when Jesus spoke, it was very convicting in that regard, and they were offended. But they couldn't believe that this kind of wisdom resided in this person. Now, if he had been a king on this earth, like Solomon, when he was saying these things, they probably would have accepted it more. But he was a carpenter's son. That can't be. You can't have that. It don't matter what you know, you're in the wrong channel. You're in the wrong social club. We can't have that. If you're going to be a wise man, you have to come from a wise man's family or you have to come from nobility or you have to be taught or you have to be a lawyer or you have to be a scribe, you have to be a this. So they set the parameters and the credentials for who could and couldn't be. And Jesus just upset that apple cart (laughs) time and time again throughout his ministry, didn't he? They were astonished. They couldn't figure it out. Well, if you believe in him for who he was, not only a carpenter's son, but the son of God, you don't have any problem with that, do you? No wonder. How could he be void of wisdom? 
He couldn't be unless he were not the Son of God. And indeed, he was the Son of God, and the wisdom that he spoke proved who he was. But again, people moved by Solomon? Yeah, people more moved, more confused by Jesus and his wisdom. Then there's a remarkable scripture in John's Gospel, chapter 7. And verse 46, that speaks directly to what we're speaking on. Some officers and soldiers were sent to literally arrest Jesus. They came back empty-handed. The officers... uh, Or verse 45, Then came the officers, the chief priests, Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Boy, they hit it dead on, on, didn't they? I mean, these were not scholarly men that said this. These were common men, officers and soldiers. But what they said was true. You know, even insignificant or evil people, like a broken clock, can get it right every once in a while. I heard a man preach one time is a marvelous sermon about the truth that Pontius Pilate spoke. He spoke a truth that still rings through the ages today. I find no fault in this man. <laughs> I mean, I mean that just resonates, doesn't it? Because there wasn't anything to be found. He was dead on. He was dead right. He was an innocent man. No fault, no guile, no nothing. I mean, put yourself in this setting. These are officers. These are individuals who are employed with a job. And not to, get, not to do their job is to suffer the consequences. And you come back empty-handed? Why didn't you bring him? And humanly, they have this flimsy excuse. We never heard anybody speak like that. I bet there were some more words in discussion after they said that, don't you? But they nailed it. Even Solomon didn't speak like Jesus. Jesus far surpassed him because of who he was. In Solomon, God just gave us a taste A whetting of the appetite. So Christ could come and say, well, you were impressed by Solomon. You should be. But let me tell you, greater than Solomon is here. And as children of God, we see that. We see that. And then the Pharisee says, are you all so deceived? I mean, you know, why why were you so taken back by who he was and what he did and so forth and so on? in that regard. I'll tell you what it would have been like. You might remember the scripture that speaks to the effect that Jesus came and visited Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in their home, you know. And it says that while Martha was worried about the fixing of things, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, you know. I think that almost captures what it would have been like to be in the presence of Jesus. She was sitting at his feet 
She wanted to catch every word. She didn't want one thing to fall to the ground that she didn't catch. I mean, and that's the way we should be. All who believe in Jesus should hang on every word, hang on every phrase, hang on every teaching, hang on every doctrine as if you were audibly hearing. Because when you read these words, He is speaking to you. He is speaking to our hearts. He is speaking to our minds today. And He does it by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has said and does exactly what Jesus said He would do. He will bring all things to your remembrance. The Spirit's not speaking new things to you. He's speaking Jesus' gracious words, teaching, and doctrine to us even now, centuries later. She sat there to gather in every bit. She didn't want to miss nothing. And there's a time to work and there's a time to listen. And you know, the sisters had to work that out. One was working all the time, the other was listening all the time. I mean, you know, there was good in both of those. Kind of like Ecclesiastes 3, you know, there's a time for this and time for that and time for that. And Jesus complimented Mary and said she sought the best part. You know, she, she's after, she got her priorities right. That while Jesus was there, she wanted to latch on to everything he had to say. And again, I, I revel in that because again, who could you go to? Where can you go? What can you read? What can you listen to that is without error? without flaw, without doubt, without skepticism. And I can tell you today, the only thing there is is what you're holding in your lap. That's it. It's not me. It's not any other preacher. Even Solomon. But what God has said is full of wisdom, full of understanding, and cannot be exceeded in that regard. Well, one other point here quickly. We read where uh, Solomon had 3,000 proverbs and how much this and how much that and, you know, all those things. And we have them in the Bible. We have a lot of that. I've never counted them. I don't think we've got everything, but we got a bunch of it. But John says, the, the Apostle John, the last chapter of John, chapter 21, and the last verse of John, of that chapter, verse 25, says... And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Now, if you were doubting how much wisdom was in Jesus before, that should answer that. I could comment on it, but what needs to be commented? You can't write it all down. That's what we're reading here. Because again, it was wisdom personified in the person of Christ. The well may have been a lot deeper in Solomon than it was in you and me. And indeed it was. His largeness of heart and his largeness of mind. But Solomon was shallow when it comes to Jesus. No comparison. The world couldn't contain it all. If it was all written down. But we'll be learning it throughout all eternity. Before we close, let me read you that personification, if I may, in Proverbs chapter 8. This is very precious, and I think it will bless your heart. That's why I'm going to take the time to read it. Those verses, by the way, of 
Mary was in uh, Luke chapter 10, I believe, verses 38 and 39. But in Proverbs chapter 8, I want to begin at verse 22. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning about the personification of wisdom. The subject here, again, is wisdom. I said that first nine chapters, but just look up uh, verse 12. We'll give you the subject. I, wisdom, dwell with, and on and on. Verse 14, counsel is mine. By me, kings reign, 15. By me, princes rule, you know, and on and on. I love them that love me. So this is wisdom as if wisdom is speaking audibly, all right? So wisdom being the subject, we get to verse 22 and it says, The Lord possess me in the beginning of His way before His works of old. Well, none of that makes sense to us, but let me shorthand it for you. Eternity past. <laughs> the Lord has no beginning. Beginning of His way. We just have to, you just have to use the language to try to convey a thought. But as long as there's been God, He's had infinite wisdom. And infinite wisdom is God. When you think of wisdom, you've got to think of like love, that it originates and is defined by God. Just get out of the human realm and jump into the divine realm. If you try to define love by human standards, you're going to come up far, 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 far short of what love is. Likewise, wisdom. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water. Alright, but what we're talking about here is not just wisdom, it's Christ. Yeah. Well, how do you know that, preacher? I, I don't see Christ in that. Well, let me give you, just, just hold what you got right now where I've read. And consider this thought, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? John 1, in those first few verses, parallel what we're reading right here. Identically. We're talking about the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ before creation. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. In fact, I'll just hold, hold your place there. Don't turn. And I'll read you this. Christ, Hebrews 1 and 3, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He hath by Himself purged... I've read the wrong verse. I'll read verse 2. Verse 2, hath in these last days spoken as by his Son, by whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Okay? So as we read right there, when he created all this, then I was by him as one brought up with him, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, my delights were with the sons of men. 
Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. And I want to pause here and say to you again, again, we're not just talking about wisdom, but synonymously Christ. You got you got to think in two ways. You can't just think wisdom and isolate and not think of the person of Christ. And you can't think of Christ without think of this infinite depth of wisdom that we're talking about. So when wisdom says, hearken unto me, Christ is saying, hearken unto me. And he did say that. Again, if you want to know what wisdom is, you've got to listen to wisdom and you've got to find where wisdom is. And wisdom resided in the person of the only begotten Son of God more than it was ever in Solomon. So hearken unto him. Blessed are they that keep my ways. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, then you're my disciples indeed. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Who were the dummies of the day? The people that rejected Christ. Didn't listen to what he says. Blessed is the man that heareth me. Who's the blessed man? The person that reads this book that believes the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. There again, what's that? Anticipating, willingness, desirous to learn, to glean, to understand, to know. Like David wrote, you know, it's thy words are sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb to me. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and all that hate me love death. Wisdom, the equivalent of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go in any further or anything in this message, but let me at least mention this to you, and I may, may cover it next time and I may not. But the Bible speaks in the Gospels many times how they sought to catch Jesus in His words. They asked Him questions to entrap Him. And I, I, like I say, I just don't have time. If I'd had time, I was, I was going to go here, but I don't have time. And the bottom line is, in summary of that, I can give you the Scriptures or show them to you afterwards or do it in the next sermon. But Jesus so adequately and more superior than they even anticipated, answered their questions, it dumbfounded them. One scripture says finally, and they durst not ask him any more questions. He just shut up their mouth. They couldn't come up with anything conniving enough or deceitful enough or a trickery enough or a snare enough. They finally just had to give up. You know, reading over there again about Solomon, it says... You know, he answered all her questions and more. He told her, he not only answered her questions, he just piled it on. These people were trying to trap Jesus, and he just dumbfounded them. He just put them in the dirt, you know, to the point that we don't want to try that anymore, you know. And they did it different ways. Like I say, I don't have time. But the wisdom of our Lord, a greater than Solomon, and the humility of our Lord has been exceeded by no one. And that's our Lord and Savior. And one day we'll be in His presence. 
And we'll be able to listen and hear the gracious words that we read about now and believe by faith in person. See Him face to face. Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit what I've prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I trust you're anticipating that today. And if you are, may God bless you.